2: Brian Kilmeade.
3: Thanks so much for listening, everybody. Senator Ron Johnson, Wisconsin, bottom of the hour. It's going to be a big week, of course. It's an impeachment week. You have the—we uh, are supposed to get some good news maybe in New York about opening up a little bit earlier and maybe get 25 percent in indoors in restaurants if they can, in fact, open. And uh, the mayor and governor will be speaking this morning. Hopefully, we'll get some good news there. And you'll get some good news in the state that you're in. Uh, unlike Florida, Florida is an anomaly Uh, Their numbers are as good as better than, I think, 25 states and right in the middle of the country. But they're staying open and using personal responsibility. And, of course, they had the Super Bowl last night. So let's get to the big three.
2: Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. The Tampa
4: Bay Buccaneers. Have a second Super Bowl title in franchise history. and Tom Brady doesn't pass the torch quite yet to Mahomes, does he? You're looking at the greatest right there.
3: The game was not great, but Tom Brady and the Bucs' defense was. What will you remember about Super Bowl 55 from the class to the pregame to the halftime to
5: the commercials? Number two. President Biden took an oath to to support and defend the Constitution. He is constitutionally obligated to faithfully execute the laws, and that's what he's not doing. So, no, I, I, am, I am highly concerned. We, we've got a crisis at the border now. It's not being reported on. Yeah, I don't really know why it's not being reported
3: on. It is a humanitarian crisis, much like Donald Trump had early on when they misread. They thought there had to be a rush to the border because he was putting up that wall. Immigration reform under Biden equals a disaster at the border and beyond. And now we are about to see a slow abolishment of ICE. Nice
6: number one a zero chance of conviction 45 Republicans have said it's not even a legitimate proceeding so it's really over before it starts I think unlikely to be witnesses there's going to be so much evidence that the president had nothing to do with this it was planned previously on Facebook the bombs were planted the night before
3: listen I don't really doubt it uh, Senator Rand Paul flat out says this is a uh, this is a waste of time here we go again impeachment 2 begins we will look at the defense and the Democratic attack. Approach two and their plan. Their plan, uh, they want to get through it in four or five days. According to Politico, the the impeachment managers, about eight of them, they're upset because they want to go ahead and call witnesses and call some of the Republicans that voted to impeach him. But it's not going to happen. Why? Because then Republicans will call some witnesses. And this case, we'll go on and on and on. And the longer it goes, the theory is, the more rehab Trump is, which bothers them that to, the, to a degree, Donald Trump is rehab, his, his, his reputation is getting rehabilitated while he's been quiet and while the Democrats have not. Talking about this thing, there was a horrific act on January 6th, but too responsible— is the key to this whole thing. So the key is, of course, 67 votes gets the president uh, impeached, and they do another vote, and they'll make sure he never runs for office again. That is the ultimate goal, to make him so unpopular he doesn't run again, because they are freaked out by Donald Trump. My hunch is he's on the way to come back, coming back stronger like he was last time. Had it not been a pandemic, you would have seen him with about 55% approval rating. So these new group of nine uh, Democratic managers have their hands full. They're going to use a lot of video, I understand. They're going to show the president's speeches. They're going to the "Stop the steel theme. And they're going to say, uh, bring up, uh, take back your country uh, in a powerful way. And then, of course, Democrats will sit by and Republicans will say, you can't penalize free speech. This is unconstitutional. And the president said, protest patriotically and peacefully. So they'll have doing narratives. And so far, it's pretty clear that Republicans aren't looking to jump ship in big ways. I'm sure Mitt Romney is gone. I'm sure Ben Sass is gone. I'm sure Murkowski is gone. She said she might even leave the party. She was that upset. But things have settled down. And McCarthy's uh, going out of his way to try to bring this party back together and rally against what they're seeing Joe Biden and the Democrats led by Chuck Schumer do to the country. Rand Paul cut one.
6: Zero chance of conviction. 45 Republicans have said it's not even a legitimate proceeding. So it's really over before it starts. Um, as far as witnesses, I think unlikely to be witnesses. If they do want witnesses, there's going to be so much evidence that the president had nothing to do with this. It was planned previously on Facebook, the bombs were planted the night before. People were attacking the Capitol who weren't part of the speech. They were already attacking the Capitol while he was just beginning to give the speech down there. There's all kinds of evidence that uh, goes against them.
3: And that's the problem. If you want to, if you make speeches for a living, if you are a politician for a living, you do not want that speech to indict the president because it's very similar to other fiery, inspirational speakers. You use the term powerful, exciting. People have to be motivated. they got to take action, but not diabolical action, not to kill people, but there's a lot of crazy people in this world. They could have misinterpreted your words tomorrow, and they can go kill, and they say, why did I do it? Well, that's what the guy told me to do. That's what she told me to do. Well, when I saw Nancy Pelosi tear up that State of the Union address, she was tearing at the president I voted for and this country's constitution. I'm going to do something negative. And that's the same thing that could happen, as Maxine Waters says, get in the Trump official's face. When Chuck Schumer says they'll be held to pay for two Supreme Court justices. What does that mean? What kind of price are you going to pay? And plus the whole process of impeaching somebody that's out of office already. What a waste of time. Cut 10.
6: It's not a question of how the trial ends. It's a question of when it ends. Republicans are going to view this as an unconstitutional exercise. And the only question is, will they call witnesses? How long does the trial take? But the outcome is really not in doubt. That doesn't mean what happened on January the sixth was okay. It means this impeachment in the eyes of most Republicans is an unconstitutional exercise.
3: Right. I'm not ever defending January sixth, but just so you know, just think about this there was there was a a a capital police officer killed. others were hurt. What Trump supported? What, what speech are you looking at of Donald Trump that says attack cops? They laud cops. The, the defund the police was, was confronted right away by this president and everybody that voted for him. And the state capitol police said there's almost zero chance of any type of violence because the Trump people, for the most part, I imagine, don't profile as violent people. The problem is when violence has happened, it's when Antifa and others and Black Lives Matter shows up and the fighting starts. This time that didn't happen. The siege itself was horrendous. The speech was ridiculous. Never should have did it. You go approach it legally. You attack Arizona. You attack uh, Georgia. You go and find out the legal problems that there was in Wisconsin and Michigan. And you let them fight it out and you be a politician. Stay above it. Stay on top of it. Make sure your lawyers are doing everything possible. But if this Republican Party is going to come together and, and take back the House and they're right there, 10 votes away. If they're going to take back the Senate, they're right there. They're one seat away. They got to get together. And that's going to mean Liz Cheney and Mitt Romney getting with Kevin McCarthy and Tom Cotton. Is that possible? Liz Cheney, who I fully support, I'm a big fan of. She's very smart and tough. And truly conservative, voted with the president almost every single time, but did not like some of his behavior, especially at the end. She's going to be tough. And reportedly, according to, I think, Politico, Kevin McCarthy said, would you just apologize for voting to impeach the president? And he said no. And then she said this to Chris Wallace. Cut 19
1: the fact that he uh, was impeached in a bipartisan fashion, uh, the fact that that uh, he lost the presidency, the fact that we lost the Senate. Uh, we have to be in a position where we can say we stand for principles, we stand for ideals. Uh, somebody who uh, has provoked an attack on the United States Capitol to prevent the counting of electoral votes. Uh, which resulted in five people dying who refused to stand up immediately when he was asked and stop the violence. Uh, that That is a person who does not have a role as a leader of our party going forward.
3: Well, I'm sorry. Uh, the one thing I disagree with her at, she's third in line and powerful in the House and ascending. And I even know she's on unpopular in Wyoming for now. Uh, I don't think Donald, Donald Trump is the most powerful person in the party. And it's going to take everybody to come together because you realize now— you don't like Donald Trump tweets. You don't like the volatile way in which he sometimes runs foreign policy and domestic policy. But what he did was all conservative. I mean, the only thing he didn't do conservative is criminal justice reform. But he got a lot of Republicans on board there. And I think people respected him for doing it. As part of the reason he got much more of the Hispanic vote. And I believe, I haven't seen the final stats, more of the black vote in this country. But almost everything he does was conservative. Almost too, uh, uh, too flagrant. So when it comes to immigration, you don't like him, Ben Sassi, oh, you don't like the president. So Lisa Murkowski, you don't like the president. How was he at the border? Brilliant. What did he do? Got together with Honduras, El Salvador, Guatemala, and Mexico, and they stopped the flood. I saw it was at its worst, and I watched it get better. And now, thanks to Joe Biden's ridiculous policies, led by somebody else in this administration, because I don't even know if he came come up with them yet, they are defanging ICE, disempowering ICE. They are lowering the standard for uh, for people to get deported out of this country. And now they're building alternate facilities to house illegal immigrants in our country right now. Senator Ron Johnson, cut 20.
5: Obviously, leaders in Congress think uh, walls and barriers work because they've surrounded the Capitol with them. But no, we already have a crisis at the border. It's not being reported on. Uh, there, There are... Days where it's 3,500 people coming across the border. You know, at the height of the crisis in, in the summer of 2019, over 4,000 people on average daily were coming across the border. That, that's, a, that's a caravan a day. It's a,
3: That's what's happening right now. And Mexico says, yeah, we're done with the remain on uh, Mexico policy. And the other guys are not containing their population. So the Biden administration is also attempting to reorient ICE. You know that law enforcement agency focused on illegal immigrants? ICE officials say the proposed changes will take away agents' discretion and severely constrain their ability to arrest and deport criminals. And listen to this. No longer are you deported if you have a crime of driving under the influence and assault. You can stay. Don't worry about it. We'll focus on national security issues uh, among border crossers. Generally, the convictions would not include drug-based crimes, Simple assault, DUI, money laundering, property crimes, fraud, tax crimes, and solicitation, or charges without conviction. Really? Can you believe this? Why do we care so much about people sneaking into our country more than we care about people in our country? A Democrat at the border, who I was actually at the border with, a very reasonable man, who they tried the primary because he's reasonable, in Texas, Congressman Henry Cuellar. He sees what's happening right now. Cut 22.
7: In my area... We had about 263 individuals the last week in two large groups. So the thing is, what do you do with those individuals, and then what do we do about deportation? And we have to find balance. What ICE has to do, I support ICE. I support the men and women uh, that Mm -hmm. uh, that are there. We just gotta find that right policy.
3: See, if I'm president, I, I talk to you. So let's say you don't like talk to Republicans. Talk to Henry Cuellar. You live at the border, Congressman. Can you come see me? What's real? What bothers you about what Trump did? What bothers you about what Obama did? How do I help? What do we do? What have you seen? Show me some pictures. Guy was taking pictures. Cut 22.
7: Mexico has just changed its uh, migration law, where they said that they're not going to detain any kids or even family units. Mm -hmm. Uh, So that even makes it harder for us to send some of those family units back to Mexico.
3: So what you're going to have to do if you're a Republican, you got to do— what the uh, attorney general, Ken Paxson, did in Texas, you got a sue to get rid of this 100-day deportation rule that you, everybody stays for 100 days, no one gets deported. They sued, and they're allowed to deport people. Arizona's following suit. When it comes to big tech deplatforming, uh, all these Republicans— Now in Florida, they said, if you do that, we're going to find you Facebook, find you Twitter, find you Instagram, so we'll see how you like it. Guess who else is doing that? Texas is now picking that up. This is going to happen. Those governors pushed back against President Trump and the sanctuary cities, and they were successful, and so were the mayors. So now it's time for the Republican mayors and governors, not just because it's Joe Biden, Democrat, just because these policies are anti-American. When you care about more, care about people outside of border more than you care about people inside a border. That, to me, is terrible leadership, terrible priorities. Uh, we're going to come back and talk about school openings, the need to do it, the impasse in Chicago, the impasse in San Francisco, both of which have shown signs to ease up. And in New York, lift the curfew Let's go indoors and eat. It is 9 degrees outside. Can they please make a living? Big show. In five minutes, Senator Ron Johnson. Excuse me, in 10 minutes, Ron Johnson. But right around the corner, you. 1-866-408-7669.
2: Getting past all the rhetoric. It's Brian Kilmeade.
6: Hey, it's Clay Travis. Join me for OutKick the show as we dive deep into a mix of topics. New episodes available Monday to Friday on your favorite podcast platform and watch directly on OutKick.com forward slash watch.
3: As many of you know from your own life experiences, a life in so-called blue-collar work is something to be proud of.
2: Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on The Brian Kilmeade Show.
0: Suicides are way up. Uh, Substance abuse cases are way up. uh, um, Sexual abuse cases are way up. And the reason we know that is we've lost eyes on the cases, and we we can't explain the otherwise change in the statistics. Uh, So right now, it's one of those things where it's magnifying the inequities in the United States. You know, some folks can easily park themselves in a nice place, with good computers and Zoom into school. And in inner-city Baltimore, that's a different story. So, unfortunately, right now, this feud is magnifying inequities uh, in education
3: and that's true too but also the kids just aren't learning i don't care if they live at a palace with an unbelievable laptop with double screens it doesn't work in fact uh, on average american students from kindergarten to fifth grade have missed out on they say co- collectively 20 percent of their reading skills and 33 <laughs> percent of their math skills all this they would have learned in normal times that according to a mckinsey study this is bad and now in san francisco and in, in in Chicago, we thought we had a deal and these kids are going to go back to school. What's going to stop them anyway? Well, it turns out in Chicago, they thought they had a deal. Listen, Mayor, uh, Mayor Lori Lightfoot for, primary, uh, for K through fifth grade. Cut 35.
0: This agreement was about making sure
3: everyone
8: in our school communities just aren't safe, <clears throat> but also that they feel safe. And feel that they have their lived experience, and fears and frustrations, have
3: been heard. Okay, Uh, they were going to have their teachers return on the twenty-second to fifth grade, K through five. Then six through eight teachers would; they'll be on the twenty-second of February. Six through eighth would go March first, and students return March eighth. But there's no schedule for high school kids. But it gets worse. Then you start reading down, and I go, wait a second, what's this? I thought it was over. And the Chicago Teachers Union tweets this out. We do not yet have an agreement. The mayor and her team made an offer to our members late last night, which merits further review. We will continue with our democratic process of rank and file review. And then a little bit later, they said, stop claiming this is over when you know it takes time for a large democratic body like this to make a decision. Please stop sending emails and tweets claiming falsely that we have a deal. We don't have a deal. So you don't have a deal in Philadelphia, quote, we are not going to we're not ready to go into unsafe buildings. No word from the mediator, but Philadelphia teachers still protesting. So they're not going to school yet. Yeah, and the front store
9: His name is Jonathan, but you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share.
3: In one of these media sites is uh, Brian Kilmeade says Joe Biden puts teachers first. Yeah, that's a problem. As much as I love teachers, it should be about the students backwards. What's best for the kids? And for, obviously, susceptible teachers that are up in age or underlying conditions, that'll be something different. Incredible to me.
7: Here's Joe Biden, cut 34. I think it's time for schools to reopen safely. Safely, You have to have fewer people in the classroom. You have to have ventilation systems that have been reworked. Our CDC commissioner is going to be coming out with science-based judgment within, I think, as early as Wednesday as the layout, what the minimum requirements are. Unbelievable. Joe, I got news for you. They've been out since the
3: previous administration. Everybody knows what. The CDC guidelines are out. You think it was your idea to set up guidelines for schools? All these teachers have to do is say, "See that classroom behind me? It hasn't. The ventilation hasn't been adjusted. We'd fix it, but it's not the problem. These people just want to have an easy way out, and these unions think they're protecting teachers, but they're hurting the country. When we come back, we're going to be joined by Senator Ron Johnson. Then more of your calls, Brian Kilmeade. Thanks for being here.
10: It's the Hammer Time Podcast. Fox News Channel's Bill Hammer takes you one on one with engaging personalities covering the critical issues of the day. Find Hammer Time now by going to FoxNewsPodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News.
2: The fastest three hours in radio, you're with Brian Kilmeade.
7: Even as the riot was occurring, the president had a chance to turn it around, and instead he incited it, knowing what was happening at the Capitol. So I think the case is absolutely clear, both in that rally at the White House and during the the riot itself, the president was taking steps to make it worse, not better. And there is, of course, reporting from inside the White House that suggests the president was slow-walking the response because he was very happy with what was happening over uh, at the uh, at the United States Capitol. So Senator, I think once all that evidence is put on, there'll be no choice but to convict.
3: Right. Uh, Senator Chris Murphy's dreaming. And those are reports, according to unnamed sources, said inside the White House the president was slow to do it and thought it was a good thing to see the Capitol invaded. No one's confirmed that, and he certainly hasn't said that senator ron johnson get ready for impeachment too are you ready for us
5: good morning brian oh yeah i'm really looking forward to it it's gonna be a blast
3: it was it was so brutal and tedious last time but this time uh, according to uh, politico today chuck schumer and nancy pelosi is telling uh, telling the uh, the managers make it quick is that what you're hearing
5: really haven't heard much at all in terms of how the trial is going to go uh, let's face it the the House took a lot of time deliberating on on the impeachment uh, articles themselves. It was 52 hours in total. Uh, So they didn't take it particularly serious. So this is a political exercise. There's no doubt about it. We already know because of Rand's uh, constitutional point of order, 45 Republican senators, I was one of them, said this isn't constitutional. So I have a hard time believing those that uh, voted that this isn't even constitutional what we're doing are going to vote to convict. So we we already know the result. Why go through this? The only reason for going through this is because they want to be vindictive. They want to be divisive. They're not trying to heal the station. They're trying, not trying to unify it. So actions speak louder than words, and, and this is a very divisive action that the Senate Democrats are taking here.
3: So Pat Toomey, who is retiring and now has gone pretty anti-Trump, said this yesterday, cut eight.
0: I think it's very unlikely, right? I mean, you did have, um, uh, you know, 45 Republican senators vote to suggest that they didn't think it was appropriate to conduct a trial, so— you can infer how likely it is that those folks will vote to convict. Um, I disagreed with their assessment. I think it is constitutional. I think it's clearly constitutional to conduct a Senate trial with respect to an impeachment. In this case, the impeachment occurred prior to the president's leaving office. But, uh, you know, my job is going to be to listen to both sides of this, evaluate the arguments and make a decision.
3: How many do you think are just already in their mind? How many Republicans just said, no, I I just I'm going to
6: convict him?
5: I have no idea. I do not think that many. But you know, the point I would try and make, another constitutional argument that I don't think is made very often, is on January 6th, we collectively decided it would not be wise for Congress to overrule the wishes of the voters and disallow any electoral votes. So why would we now, that President Trump's already left office, why would we want to impose the additional penalty that he can't run for office in the future? Why would we preemptively overrule the wishes of the voters. It doesn't doesn't make any sense. It's not consistent whatsoever. If he's got legal liability, you've got the Department of Justice, and you can bring charges against him, but they won't do that because I don't think what he did even comes close to rising the level of an indictable type of incitement charge.
3: Senator, the other thing uh, we were talking about a couple of days ago, and it's still very relevant, is they took your Senate testimony in a new low. They banned Senate testimony about a, a therapeutic that was effective, and you decided uh, you wanted to take a look at that and put that front and center be able to question uh, this doctor about the effectiveness of uh, Invectin, is it? Ivermectin. Ivermectin. And now that's taken down off all social media as if that's dangerous. Now they're banning Senate
5: testimony? Yeah, you know, Brian, I've been vilified really since back in probably March, April, because... I was like the president saying, well, let's at least look at hydroxychloroquine. I mean, this thing's been available for you know, 70 years. It's safe. And by the way, the main uses of hydroxychloroquine are not for what it was FDA approved for, which is anti-malarial. It's primarily lupus and rheumatoid arthritis. That's how medicine advances. Doctors using their off-label prescription rights and taking a, a safe and effective drug for another disease and say, hey, it just might work here. Why have we completely ignored repurposing cheap, available, generic drugs to fight COVID? It makes no sense. And so, yeah, we have Senate testimony. This is our second hearing on early treatment. Um, The first one, by the way, I was labeled by the New York Times as the snake oil salesman of the Senate by having doctors who actually had the courage to treat patients effectively. So give me some more of this criticism. Fine. The American people deserve to hear this. So we held another hearing. And Dr. Corey talked about ivermectin the day before our hearing. There was a new study out of Argentina. 800 healthcare workers were prophylaxed with a combination of drugs, including ivermectin. Not one got sick. Of the 400 that didn't get the drug, 58% got sick. Now, I know it's not a random controlled trial, but that's some pretty strong evidence that I personally, if I got COVID, wouldn't want to have that information, have my doctor have that information, but is being suppressed. And I cannot explain why, but I will tell you one thing, Brian, as more evidence amounts for either hydroxychloroquine or ivermectin or other cheap generic drugs being effective against uh, COVID, the, the powers to be will never admit they're wrong. Because if they admit they're wrong on this, the way they have vilified suppressed this information You know know what the consequences are. Tens of thousands of people lost their lives because they weren't given access to these drugs or even the information about these drugs.
3: About a month ago, Secretary of Health and Human Services uh, Azar said, if you're a patient, ask your doctor to look into Regeneron and Remdesivir, Regeneron, because a lot of people aren't offering it. They're not aware that it's in their state, but it's all there. So... All you're trying to do is arm the would-be patient and their family with everything out there because they were telling us that doctors don't know everything. I don't understand why these platforms can <clears throat> ban Senate testimony that they deem burdensome or dangerous. It's not up to them. You already gave them cover by putting it in that venue, so they're not under any le- they're not under any legal recourse. So just let people yeah. read and watch.
5: Yeah, it's 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 a huge question. There's really no answer for it. But let's face it: who has faith in government? And and so, but for some weird reason, even though these government agencies are known to be not particularly effective, very slow to act, medicine will not will you know. Hospital associations, doctor associations, rely on the FDA and the CDC. Because if they, if they do something outside of what they fully recommend, they're subject to lawsuits. We have, we have such a litigious society here. So if we just simply rely and sit back and wait for government, we will not advance medicine at the pace that we need to, particularly in, in an emergency situation in the midst of pandemic. That's, we've all had to sit back and wait till Fauci uh, rules from above. I would much rather put my faith in doctors that are actually practicing medicine having the courage to expose themselves to COVID by treating COVID patients. You know, we had the Democrat uh, witness at our first early treatment uh, hearing just trashing the doctors that I invited to testify that, it, that actually had been exposed to COVID. One of them got it themselves treating patients. I asked him in the hearing, well, Dr. Jean, have you ever treated a COVID patient? Uh, no, sir, I haven't. And those, these are it's people like Dr. Jad, Dr. Fauci, that don't treat patients. We're supposed to listen to them over doctors that actually have the courage to do so. It makes no sense whatsoever, and it certainly makes no sense for YouTube and Twitter and other platforms, these social media platforms, to censor information. U.S. Senate testimony. Think about that. That is frightening.
3: Well, a couple of things. I'm not sure about uh, how strong this this. This move is, but Governor DeSantis says, "I will sue any of these big tech firms that ban any political figure uh, uh, or deplatform any political figure in the future starting yesterday." Arizona and Texas might follow suit as well. What kind of laws what what is that a way of taking action on these firms?
5: It might be if nothing else is going to highlight the problem we have because we have an enormous problem. these These companies have amassed so much power. And, of course, they're, they're basically a utility now. Uh, can, can you imagine, a good analogy is if AT&T back in the 50s, if, if some business who obviously based their business uh, using a telephone system, right, if all of a sudden AT&T said, no, we're not going to let you use our phone system anymore, they, AT&T could have put businesses out of business. And, of course, the government using these antitrust laws eventually broke up AT&T as being too large a monopoly power. Well, I think we're kind of at that point with these social media companies, They, they which is a, a split second decision. Say, no, we're we're going to deny you our platform, and y- they can wipe out people's life savings, and they can deplatform and demonetize businesses. That is far too much power, and of course, they're immune from any kind of lawsuit because they're a private company. They can do whatever they want. Well, th- th- things have changed. They've gained too much power. And there has to be pushback from government.
3: All right, because they are on the same page. I read this Time Magazine story. It reads like a novel about what happened behind the scenes leading up to this election. And I can't put my finger on whether it's illegal. I'm talking to some people. But one of the things big tech was asked to get involved to make sure that Donald Trump didn't delegitimize the election. And next thing you know, we have a legitimate New York Post story about the president's son that gets frozen because it could delegitimize the election. Obviously, this is something that's got to be examined. But I got to so just go ahead.
5: I was going to say, you know, Senator Grassley in, in my report on Hunter Biden, that was pretty well ignored by the press as well. I mean, so that's where the suppression of the Hunter Biden. But not Tony ignored. Bobulinski.
3: He cited your report as the reason he came forward, who is Hunter's, who is Hunter's business partner. He says, you know. You informed him of things he didn't know about a business he was involved with, with Hunter Biden. That's how thorough your investigation was.
5: But you've seen the polls that have shown that it had a, a large percentage of, of Biden voters actually known about Hunter Biden. They would have voted for him, and it would have turned the election. I so what, the point I've been trying to make, it doesn't seem to be breaking through too much, is you know, all, all the Democrats accusing Russian interference and Russian disinformation affecting the 2016 election – the interference, the impact that the mainstream media and the social media, by choosing sides and doing everything they could to get Biden elected, they had a far greater impact. They interfered to a far greater extre- extent than anything Russia ever could have hoped to achieve in 2016 or or else. But but they don't even admit it. You know, we have Jack Dorsey in front of our Senate Commerce Committee. Uh, Ted Cruz asked him, "Do do you, do you will you admit you have uh, the capability of impacting elections?" And he just completely denied it. <laughs> I mean, I followed up on the question. I mean, you're sitting there talking about how Russia can interfere using your platforms. How can you not admit that your own use of your own platforms can affect the elections? And of course, they do. It's obvious, but that's how smug and arrogant these uh, these American media oligarchs are.
3: Quick thing on the 1.9 trillion dollar package. Do you expect Joe Manchin, John Tester, Senator Cinema to to step, uh, step up and say it's too much and minimum wage has got to go?
5: No, because in the end, they voted for the wraparound amendment uh, that wiped out any – the few amendments that we did pass during the Voterama. Uh, they just do – at the very end, they, they have a wraparound amendment that gets rid of those votes and just leaves the budget resolution pretty much as it was. So, no, you'll get $1.9 trillion of additional spending. Uh, listen, some people are hurting. But what we ought to do is repurpose stuff that hasn't been spent to the previous $4 trillion. Yeah, we might do a little bit better targeting possibly, but no, it's going to be $1.9 trillion. And then the next budget reconciliation, Brian, is going to be tax increases. you hold on to your wallet.
3: No question. Now they're talking about a tax credit for people, $3,600 per kid. It's going to write people a check.
5: Well, the facts on the direct payments, There were at the depth of the recession about 25 million jobs lost. Now we're down about 9 million jobs. We sent out checks to 166 million Americans, about 115 million households. Only 18% of that first check was spent on essentials. Everything else was just either put into savings or paid off debt. It's not stimulative, and we're we're sending checks to people that are fully employed, had no loss of income, and, Brian, we don't have that money. This is all money being borrowed against our children's future. You'd think there'd be a little bit more targeting, a little more responsible spending of money we don't have, but there's not.
3: Thanks, Senator. I, I know you're frustrated, but uh, you're doing great work and you are breaking through. People are looking at you, listening to you, because you did this, what you're supposed to do. You made your money and decided to give back through service. You're not there to be famous. You're there to make a difference. And I think that's getting through. Don't get too frustrated.
5: Well, appreciate the opportunity to come on. Take care.
3: When we come back, your phone call is one 408 7669
2: Newsmakers and Newsbreakers, here it first, only on The Brian Kilmeade Show. From the
10: Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The Untold Story with Martha McCallum. The host of The Story on Fox News Channel sits down with major newsmakers each week to get their untold story. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com.
2: The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Tom, congratulations. Nothing better than be able
4: to share this with
2: your family and your kids.
4: They started off about this big and now look <laughs> at them, so I'm trying to stop the little clock right now, but it'd be nice to celebrate with them too. And there's more to come, right, Tom? There's yeah. more to come as far as football. Yeah, we're coming back. We're coming we gotta back. I know that. Coming back. Tom Brady's coming back.
3: And he actually says, I think, think he could be better actually having a training camp and get used to the guys in the system. Think about that. He switches teams at 42 uh, with a coach he doesn't really know, with a team he is, he's clueless about, in a new conference. And after uh, going out 7-5, and five, having both his parents get the coronavirus, not tell anyone, but one, I think his dad was in the hospital for a while rallies his team together and wins uh, convincingly. I don't think Kansas City was ever in that game. Uh, I I actually don't, as as much as I enjoyed seeing Tom Brady win this, I don't think it felt like a Super Bowl at all. And I think that halftime show was, I I guess, I guess he's famous. I have no, I mean, I listened to a couple of his songs. I I was like, when is this going to start? When's this going to be entertaining? Walking through robots? Who were the who were
8: who the halftime uh, standout
3: performances that? Oh, well, Paul McCartney, okay. you too. I was there. I mean, I've covered over, I've covered like twenty five Super Bowls. Um, that and I think the best one. Well, it, it's tough to go for the best one, but even if it's not my style of music, you just appreciate. Okay, I understand where this song is coming from. I mean, Justin Timberlake, fine, okay. How good was the performance? What was the chore- uh, choreography? People care more about that. Most people watch the game that aren't football Here's my fans question. first You were at that
8: game when Justin Timberlake and Janet Jackson were performing? It was at the game. What but was the reaction from the crowd? Did they realize what happened no, at the end?
3: I don't think they did. And uh, the thing is, it's kind of bad. Janet Jackson pays the price and Justin Timberlake doesn't. Also, I got an announcement today. Fox Nation uh, drops a brand-new series of what made America great. You know, a lot of people question, is America great? Uh, I'm going to do a tour of the Washington Monument. I go to uh, Harry Truman's Little White House. No one's ever seen this thing over in the Keys. And I also do a thorough look at George Washington's spies, including how they were all discovered in the 1920s. Here's a little of it on Fox Nation. And there was one officer in this room who actually had two jobs. Number one, to be Washington's aide throughout the war, and number two, assemble and run aspiring. aspiring a, spy ring. a spy ring whose goal was simple, find a way to provide the intelligence to allow America to know what the British were up to and win back New York, without which we cannot win the war. They became so good and proficient at what they did, their work was indispensable, and their identities were not known to anyone, not even Washington at the time. Top secret to historians of the 1920s. Now we know what they did, and we know who they are. They are the culprits. spy ring. So this one took about five shoots in the middle of the pandemic. Not easy. Went to Manhattan to where George Washington said goodbye to his troops, Francis Tavern. Went out to Setauket, where most of the spies were, Woodhull, Caleb Bruce, to Austin Rowe. Went to Manhattan, where Robert Townsend had his supermarket in Rivington Place, where the uh, Loyalist newspaper was. And then we went out to East Hampton, Long Island, to see where Morton Pennypacker, the historian who was able to unmask who they were and give them the credit they deserved, 150 years, 100 plus years since they died. And we even bring some actual letters from Washington and beyond to all these spies most of which he would never meet but without which we wouldn't win the war. So go to Fox Nation, What Made America Great to see a brand new season as well as a a tour of the Washington Monument I never thought I'd get but you're going to get it if you just watch.
10: Fox Nation presents Podcasts, Women of the Bible Speak.
4: I'm Shannon Bream, host of Fox News at Night and author of the new book, Women of the Bible Speak, the wisdom of 16 women and their lessons for today. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, FoxNewsPodcast.com, or wherever you download your podcasts.
2: From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach. It's Brian Kilmeade.
3: Thanks so much for listening, everybody. Coming to you from New York, heard around the country, heard around the world. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Joining us shortly, Jim Gray, who interviewed the president of the United States yesterday, and Tom Brady. And I'm pretty sure the Brady one went a little bit better uh, with more news. Mark Siegel will be with us at 34 after. We've got to get up to date on this vaccine. And what's happening with these cases dropping around the country in the last two weeks, no one wants to report on it. I don't know why. Maybe it's because the rescue package and the media in bed that if things are getting better, why do we need one point nine trillion dollars of printed money in our bloodstream? But cases down 30 percent. Over the last two weeks, hospitalizations down uh, 24 percent. And deaths are down just under 10 percent because that's a lagging indicator. This is great news. The vaccine is picking up the pace. If we could just change the rules, especially in New York, that uh, we'll give everybody that's in the line. And if we have extra vaccine and we puncture one of these vials rather than have it go to waste, if you're waiting outside, you get it. Israel's done this and it's worked. So let's get to the big three.
2: Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. The Tampa Bay
4: Buccaneers have a second Super Bowl title in franchise history. And Tom Brady doesn't pass the torch quite yet to Mahomes, does he? You're looking at the greatest right there.
3: No question, uh, the game was not great, but Tom Brady and the Bucs' defense was. What will you remember about the Super Bowl 55? The clash, the pregame, the halftime, the
5: commercials? Weigh in. Number two. President Biden took an oath to to support and defend the Constitution. He is constitutionally obligated to faithfully execute the laws, and that's what he's not doing. So, no, I am am highly concerned. We've got a crisis at the border now. It's not being reported on. Uh, There you go. Uh, That is
3: a crisis. Immigration reform under Biden equals disaster so far at the border and beyond. And now we're hearing new rules on ICE essentially abolishes them.
11: Number
6: one. Uh, Zero chance of conviction. Forty-five Republicans have said it's not even a legitimate proceeding. So it's really over before it starts. I think unlikely to be witnesses. There's going to be so much evidence that the president had nothing to do with this. It was planned previously on Facebook. The bombs were planted the night before.
3: Uh, It's incredible. Senator Rand Paul, here we go again. That was him weighing in. Impeachment 2 begins. We'll look at the defense and the Democratic attack approach, and that's where we'll start it. Uh, Real quick, when it comes to immigration a great uh, emailer just got to me now is Mary. I just won't give her last name. says, the U.S.-Canadian border is still shut down. Only commercial traffic can get through. However, the U.S.-Mexican border is open and accessible to any illegal immigrant. Why the inconsistency? The immigrants could be carrying the China virus into our country, and no one is stopping them. Absolutely. And we've been saying that. And that is the big deal. So what happens when you try to abolish ICE... This is what you do when you try to abolish ICE. That is the weapon for people who got through our border operations and got into our country, and if you try to defang ICE or disempower ICE... You do something like this if you want to do it. Agents will no longer be able to deport immigrants for crimes, such as DUI and assault, and will focus on national security threats. Generally, these convictions could include drug-based crimes. You can stay. Simple assault. Don't worry about it. DUI. You could, don't worry, don't even, don't even, uh, uh, probably just spend a night in jail. Money laundering, property crimes, fraud, tax crimes, solicitation, or charges without conviction. So no reason to, work, to rush out just because you're assaulting people and drinking and driving. What is the benefit of that? Why are these illegal aliens more valuable? And do we care more about their rights than we do about ours? Why, during the pandemic, is it okay to welcome them in? And why is it that now we're not going to deport people for 100 days? Not in Texas. They sued and they can do it. There's a stay on the, on the current situation. So they'll be able to send them out for at least another 12 days. Senator Ron Johnson, cut 20
5: obviously leaders in Congress think uh, walls and barriers work because they've surrounded the Capitol with them. But no, we already have a crisis at the border. It's not being reported on. Uh, there, there are days where it's 3,500 people coming across the border. You know, at the height of the crisis in, in the summer of 2019, over 4,000 people on average daily were coming across the border. That, that's, a, that's a caravan a day.
3: Yeah, it's crazy. And Mark Morgan, who who texted me the over the weekend and said, You don't understand how bad it's getting, cut twenty four.
5: Under President Trump's administration, we had the network of policies and tools and support to do what we needed to do, uh, Judge, to address the illegal migration crisis that we all saw and experienced in 2019. And by every single measure, it was successful. By by February of 2020, we had reduced the the illegal flow by 75 percent. The families coming up from the Northern Triangle countries, which IS really the crux of the issue, had all but trickled uh, to to basically nothing, and it just a Couple of months since election, but in a couple of hours after uh, he was inaugurated, he has made our borders less secure, our country less safe, and has endangered the men and women on the front lines of our borders protecting this nation. Yeah. It's just simply outrageous.
3: And by the way, he served with Obama for Obama, got fired when Trump took over. And then Trump realized they saw him on TV, he seemed to make a lot of sense. And then he got empowered. And you listen to Tom Homan and him, and they just said, "Well, we're for a bunch of administrations, but at least they're letting me do my job." And lastly, so this is what Republicans have to do. Their attorney general has got to start suing. Not suing just because it's Joe Biden's policy and he's a Democrat. Do it because this is hurting the country. So if you're going to de people, politicians, almost all conservatives in Florida, you're going to get fined. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, whatever you are. And now, same thing was picked up by Texas. Now, Texas said, you're going to make me— uh, Not deport these illegals that come across for 100 days? No, I'm going to sue you. And now they got a few extra days because the judge said, I I agree with the attorney general from Texas. Now Arizona's going to do the same thing, cut
9: 25. So the Department of Justice felt like they needed more time to, to argue their case because we are coming back in and we're seeking not a temporary injunction, but a permanent injunction. The reason we want that is we want to keep in place the law that Congress put into place so that we don't suffer any damage while we're arguing the merits of the case, which is what we want to get to ultimately, because we think we'll be successful. And and a court will grant that if you show two things. One, that you're likely to win on the merits, which is hard to show before trial, but we did that. And two, that you would suffer irreparable harm, that there would be some great harm to Texas and other states. And so we've been able to show that.
3: All right, so that's the attorney general, and he led the way there, and he's pretty happy. He's getting some company. Cut 26.
9: I think... More AGs speaking out on, and a, on a president that's out of control already and overstepping his constitutional role. I don't think there's anything more important today that we could address as, a, as Republican AGs is a president who is going beyond his constitutional authority. And given the fact that Congress is controlled by the Democrats, I don't know where else we can go. And the courts, fortunately, are a place that Trump... Put a lot of good judges who are going to focus on the law, the rule of law, the Constitution, and what federal law actually says, not what they want it to be.
3: Yeah, absolutely. So we'll talk about that. We'll also talk about uh, the pandemic and what's happening now with the in New York in particular. They might actually let us go indoor dining a little bit earlier. But according to our cocky governor, he says don't be cocky with this virus, even though we've had 30 days of declines. 30 days of declines. And he says don't get cocky about it. And when it comes to the vaccine, he's still doing it so sectional and regionalized and specific. We're letting vaccines go to waste, reportedly. We have Yankee Stadium open for Bronx residents, but no one communicated to them how to make an appointment. We have other facilities, they have just nobody in them. And other people are so afraid of giving somebody who doesn't go into the criteria, 65 and over, underlying conditions, a minority, whatever it is. If you happen to be a white person in their 30s and you want a vaccine and they have extra, they're afraid to give it to you because they don't want to get fired or fined, like the hospital. So they're not. We've got to change that policy right away, like they do in West Virginia, like they do in Texas, like I believe they do in Florida. one When we come back, Jim Gray brings us up close and personal Super Bowl 55.
2: It's Brian Kilmeade. Get this and all your favorite
10: Fox News podcasts ad-free on Apple Podcasts with Fox News Podcasts Plus. Just go to foxnewspodcasts.com for all the details.
2: He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian
7: Kilmeade. Think of all of the kids we know. Our children, our grandchildren. I, I have a, a, a granddaughter who's all-state in two sports. I think of all these, and and two other granddaughters who are incredibly good—one in crew, the other playing both lacrosse and, and anyway—and and, and a grandson who's a sophomore plays. And think of all they've lost. Think of the socialization they've lost, not being able to play, not being able. I can't imagine what it would have been like. When I was fighting like hell, I did not win it. Fighting like hell to win the state scoring championship if the last two games have been canceled and I couldn't play. Imagine, imagine all the kids out there, all the young people who are hurt. Imagine all those Olympians who worked for four years, four years for one shot, and all of a sudden that opportunity gets lost. They're the people that I feel such pain for. But we have to do it based on the science. We are a science-driven administration. I think the rest of the world's there, too. I hope we can play. I hope it's possible. But it remains to be seen.
3: No, it doesn't. Uh, private schools are all playing. They're playing championships in states that uh, live to give them the opportunity, and they almost, almost all of them pulled it off. Jim Gray, great question, uh, because he had the— uh, Uh, He had the opportunity to interview the president of the United States uh, before Super Bowl 55 and joins us now. Uh, He's the author of talking to goats and the special still available on Fox nation. Hey Jim, great interview.
12: Thank you so much, Brian. Good morning.
3: I know that uh, the president loves sports. So you, you hit his uh, sweet spot when you're talking about that. He he loved playing football and he loves watching his kids play.
12: Well, the answer was in regards to whether or not, uh, the Olympics would take place in Tokyo and then in Beijing, Tokyo this coming summer and Beijing a year from now, and whether or not he was in favor of sending Americans and our team. That was the question.
3: Right. And what was his, and his answer was?
12: He hoped so. He was working with the prime minister yeah. of Japan, had been in consultation with him, uh, didn't want to see these kids, as you just heard, dream shattered, uh, but he was going to base it and just leave it to where the science is at that time and hopeful and doing what America can uh, and remaining hopeful that uh, they'll be able to pull it off. But he you know, wasn't going to commit yeah. today to what he doesn't know is going to be uh, come this summer.
3: When you do the math with the Olympics, so much has to do with the tourists that come and spend money, and then they, they buy tickets. So you might be able to pull off a game like uh, football, baseball, and basketball here, but I wonder if the math adds up for Japan to do it. You know, with, is, you know, that's going to be the key.
12: The math is so far gone already. The losses will be billions upon billions of dollars, just the postponement alone, uh, Brian, from 2020 to 2021, and all of those sponsors. And it's a worldwide, global, obviously, event that the Olympics are. Some 200 countries participate, all have different health standards, all have different uh, places in the pandemic uh, with the, these curves and so forth. Uh, and different variants. So it's a, it's it's a ginormic, ginormous, incredible uh, task that they face in front of them to get the athletes there. Uh, fans. It looks like it's very very remote that fans will be able to attend. Sponsors who who pour you know tens of millions of dollars into this uh, are hemorrhaging uh, over this. So it's it's a, it's a financial disaster. Uh, whether or not the hopes and dreams of all of the all of the youth around the world will be able to be fulfilled uh, because of this pandemic remains to be seen. Uh, many in Japan are saying that they don't believe it will happen, yet the head of the IOC as well as the Japanese uh, Olympic Committee, the Tokyo Olympic Committee, have said that they're going to proceed. Uh, they hope to have uh, some sort of vaccination program. Uh, they hope to have some sort of quarantining. So uh, we may be able to see, at least the, even if it's just a miniature version, of the Olympics, uh, track and field, swimming, gymnastics, and so forth, don't know uh, how exactly they will do this with all of these governing bodies uh, and all of these nations, but uh, they're hopeful, and, and I guess we just have to wait and see where it is. I mean, they can't have testing like the NFL because uh, the NFL is a contained 32 units, and they they performed 954,000 coronavirus tests this this year to be administered by players, coaches, family members, organizations, uh, league officials. Uh, Dr. Alan Sills and those folks did a tremendous job, but the resources that were put into this were incredible to be able to be on time and to, and to have that Super Bowl. Try doing that now with 200 nations and all of these athletes. It's it's a huge task, Brian.
3: It's going to be a long time to go back to see when's the last time Jim Gray missed a Super Bowl. Here's a little of uh, – here's the final play, and then I want to get your uh, take on your uh, Tom Brady, Cut28.
4: The Tampa Bay Buccaneers have a second Super Bowl title in franchise history, and Tom Brady doesn't pass the torch quite yet to Mahomes, does he? No. You're looking at the greatest right there.
3: Did you have a sense this game would go like that?
12: I don't think anybody had a sense this game would go like that. I mean, it was just a it was just a beatdown uh, defensively uh, and. Uh, Brady was incredible. He completed uh, a record in the first half. Uh, Nobody has uh, been above the 80% mark, uh, and he was. And uh, the defense was incredible. Patrick Mahomes and the Kansas City Chiefs did not score a touchdown. The reigning Super Bowl champions were held to three field goals. And I saw something on the telecast last night uh, during the radio broadcast. We were also watching the TV monitor. They had those next-gen stats. It said something like, Patrick Mahomes, just evading pursuit in the pocket, ran for 500 yards, I think. Wow. You know, backwards and sideways <laughs> and around. And the guy was a magician last night. He hit a couple of his receivers in the helmet like he was throwing the ball parallel. So, you know, he wasn't, uh, it wasn't his best performance, but it was incredible that uh, the pressure that he was under. And, and for Tom Brady to do this year one during a pandemic, new playbook, new team, new city, new everything. And a team in the Patriots that thought he was done. He goes down there and wins his seventh title. This guy is the best forever. It's uncharted. It's unparalleled. And it will not be duplicated, replicated, or ever seen again. So for all those folks who aren't fans, you're watching greatness. (laughs) You may not like the team. You may not like the Patriots. You may have cheered against the Buccaneers. But what you are seeing is beyond belief.
3: Here's what he told you after the game.
12: Was this your hardest year ever? A new team, a new city, a new playbook, COVID, and... and was it just the toughest assignment that you've had?
2: You know, every year has its challenges. This had its own unique challenges. We were all dealing with some unique challenges. And, um, you know, our team struggled a little bit there in November and then really came together, won eight straight uh, from December, January, February. So when you win eight straight to end the year, usually means pretty good things. And I'm um, just so happy with everyone, our coaches, our players, our families, everyone who supports us and uh you know, everyone who supports our dreams. Now it's time to have some time off and give them back. You know, their sons, their uh, their husbands, their dads.
5: So we're all going to look forward to some time off.
3: <laughs> so could you just you've seen them happy before. Obviously, you're good friends, and you've you've covered all the Super Bowl victories. Describe that.
12: Well, he wanted this so badly for his teammates. Like he said in the pregame interview with me, I've had this experience six times. I want these guys to have this joy, to have this feeling for forever, to have something that can never be taken away, to be in the history books as a Super Bowl champion. So he, he much more wanted this for uh, Godwin and Evans and White and Coach Arians and Antonio Brown and all of the guys of uh, uh, Fournette and all these guys who came together to be with him, Uh, In this circumstance, each of these guys has undergone more than 220, 220 coronavirus tests throughout the season. None of them can get together. Tom doesn't even know, you know, some of these guys by, you know, having a meeting with them because there is no congregating. So some of the guys on defense, you know it's all virtual it's, <laughs> it's just amazing, amazing I know. how he transferred his culture right. and brought it to tampa bay and and they came away with this uh
3: jim you got to add this to your paperback uh jim gray thanks so much talking to goats the name of his book and the special on fox nation jim thanks so much
10: thanks brian Good all right to talk to you. Uh,
3: another great it. broadcast uh back with dr mark seagull the latest on the virus and more
10: from the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, publisher of The Federalist, and I'm inviting you to join a new conversation with the smartest thinkers out there about the country and where we're going. Subscribe to the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com.
2: Information you
8: want, truth you demand.
2: This is The Brian Kilmeade Show.
8: Well, I think the prerequisite is putting in place mitigation steps in the schools. The school districts that have reopened successfully, and there was good data out of North Carolina where they did some systematic research looking at the experience in those schools which were open, showed that when they wear masks, when they distance... When they try to take precautions in the classroom, there's very little transmission within the classroom. The schools are not a vector of transmission, and especially children under the age of 14 are less likely to both get infected and transmit the infection. I think it certainly um, would be good to be able to prioritize teachers to get them vaccinated so they're not at risk from contracting the infection and spreading the infection. But I don't think it's necessarily a prerequisite.
3: Dr. Scott Gottlieb uh, weighing in on CBS the, yesterday just about the reason, in, in a diplomatic terms, that kids should be back in school. The downside is uh, way too down compared to the upside, which is teaching kids to learn in a window which closes. Dr. Mark Siegel joins us, Fox News a medical contributor, author of the book, COVID, uh, The Politics of Fear and the Power of Science. Uh, Dr. Siegel, why are we having so much trouble evaluating whether the kids belong in school or not? It's totally disingenuous.
13: Two words teachers unions. That's the words. And the reason that—let's subtract them from the equation and and all of the politicking of this. I agree with what you just heard from Dr. Gottlieb, but I've been saying the same thing. That study, let me show you how impressive that study is he's referring to. Centers for Disease Control, 11 school districts in North Carolina, over 90,000 students and teachers looked at 32 cases. You heard that right. 32 cases out of 90,000 that got COVID-19 within the schools, which was much lower than the community rate itself. So in other words, if you keep kids out of schools, you are more likely that that they or their families are going to get COVID. Then parents end up staying home from school, uh, from work to take care of their kids. That becomes an enormous problem. There's huge psychological damage going on, especially now that we're going into the second year. The other key point he made, which I agree with, is schools have to have precautions. And in Chicago, where this war is going on, Brian, Chicago has spent $100 $100 million at getting the schools properly prepared for students, you know, with distancing, with proper ventilation, with masking, with frequent testing. That's what you put in place.
3: Yeah, so it's amazing. It's a bit 10% drop in cases since Thanksgiving's 1 million uh, level. So we're 10% below. 25% drop in 20 states. Hospitalizations down 20%. Over the last 14 days as a country, we're down 31%. Deaths down 9%. And now we're getting places with the vaccination. Why aren't we reporting more of this good news?
13: Well, first of all, it's not just good news. It's great news. And when you add to that one other thing, which is I think 70 million people have probably had COVID already and gotten over it and have a, level of a, a reasonable level of immunity to it, plus now that we're getting up around 40 million vaccines, we're getting about 1.5 million people vaccinated a day, because the media doesn't report good news. And the, the media always base, uses everything based on fear to drive ratings, as you know. The only thing we should be keeping our eye on right now about the positive trend is also the issue of the variants we have to keep ahead of them because they spread more easily but the but the pfizer and the moderna vaccines cover the the united kingdom variant that's spreading here and and so the more people we get vaccinated the faster we get them vaccinated the better i believe that these positive trends will continue remember brian this is occurring in the heart of the winter when you expect a respiratory virus to do its most damage
3: And is the regular flu down as much as they say it is? I mean, is that what you're finding?
13: Enormous. I mean, there's almost no flu season this year. And I said in November and December when you asked me this, I said, "Well, it's still not quite flu season." And now it's supposed to be flu season in February. We're seeing almost no cases, very, very few hospitalizations. There's, a th- there's three reasons for that. First of all, they had a very small s- flu season in Australia, so we didn't get seeded with the flu. Secondly, all of this masking is helping. And third, COVID is a lot more contagious than the, than the flu is, and with a lot more people got their flu shots this year than last year. All of it is very good news. I think we're learning a way to approach respiratory viruses that can help us in the future if we stick to some of it.
3: Well, yeah, I mean, but they separate the whole mask thing. We want to see that sunsetting. Can you give us an understanding on why once we get a vaccine, we still should wear masks? Because that seems to be the policy until we get a new one.
13: Well, I think that the policy has to do with getting to a very low level before we start to release that. In other words, we want to get to the level where there's very few cases around. There's no, it doesn't make sense to wear a mask if there's no virus around. It only makes sense to wear a mask if you might actually encounter this virus. Masks are, are very little to ask in terms of reopening restaurants, reopening stadiums, you know, reopening uh, my, my beloved Knicks, who are even a little better this year. I mean, I'm willing to wear a mask. But But why should you if you got a vaccine? I have had the vaccine, and I have to tell you, I'm much less worried about encountering COVID than before, even though I see patients. Now, I still wear my mask and shield them with my patients, but when I'm out on the street, I'll wear a surgical mask, but I'm way, way, way less worried about it. I think people should have immunity cards, Brian. I think when you go to the airport, if you can show that you've been vaccinated, that should make a huge difference. I think the idea of having had a fully immunized series is a much better protection than having had a test a day before that says you're negative, which could end up turning positive. How do you I think feel? we got to change that but, that policy.
3: See, well, I'm just saying, if I get a vaccine and they say, "Well, you're going to be wearing masks for the foreseeable future," uh, people get really frustrated with that. Okay, like I do, because if you wear, if you're if you're not a if you're not going to get it, why am I pretending I am going to get it?
13: You're not. You know what? The key, let, me t- let, me be, let me bear down on this a little. First of all, I don't like the words foreseeable future. You're absolutely correct about that. Foreseeable future makes sounds like forever. We're not talking about that. I think we need to have two things happen, and then you'll be able to throw away your mask. One, let's get the bulk of people in the country vaccinated. And two, let's prove once and for all that the vaccine decreases spread. We know it keeps you from getting sick. We know it keeps you out of the hospital already. We know you almost Almost definitely aren't going to get COVID if you get vaccinated, but will it keep you from harboring it in your nose and spreading it to another person? I'm almost 100% sure of that. That data will be coming back at us more and more over the next few weeks. When we prove that and we get a get over 100, 150 million vaccinated, I think then we won't need the mask. All
3: right, so let's that's uh,
13: not going to be forever. That's right. a few months. All right, that's so
3: the, that'll be good. Uh, so. Tell me about this policy. Where do you stand, doctor? So you want to get people in certain categories vaccinated first. And just off the top of my head in New York, first responders, uh, doctors, uh, doctors, nurses, now teachers, then 65 and over, 75 and over, then 65 and over. I get it. Now, why don't we develop a system like the Israelis did effectively where— I'm I'm not one of those key groups, but I'm going to stand outside these vaccination centers because if people don't show up like they're not showing up at Yankee Stadium, I don't want these vials to go to waste. So people are afraid at NYU, for example, they might be afraid to give the wrong person or somebody who doesn't qualify yet the vaccine because they'll lose the money, they'll lose the vaccine. But yet, so they're throwing out this vaccine. Why don't we give ourselves an opportunity to line up outside these stadiums? When these lines go down and the vaccine is left, we hop online. Can we go to that?
13: Brian, that's one of the reasons I love you and we're such good friends, because we think exactly alike on these things. I call what you just said Plan B. And I think it's an absolute disgrace that over the weekend, the New York Post was reporting pods, the, 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 the Health and Hospital Corporation pods in New York City were literally vacant of patients waiting to get vaccinated. There was the snow. But I mean, are you kidding me? Everyone wants this vaccine. Most people want it. If they don't want it, they should want it. Talk to me. I'll tell you why you need it. And, and it's ridiculous, this rigid adherence to these rules. Now, first of all, the Centers for Disease Control puts out guidelines. Those are not rigid rules. I don't know where any state got the idea that it had to be adhered to or else. And then states like New York are ridiculous adhering to these rigid rules. Of course, there should be a line forming of people saying, hey, if they don't show up, you got any extra? You got any extra? Why aren't hospitals giving it to the patients if, the, if those in the, in the, high, in the yeah. 1A, 1B groups don't show up?
3: It doesn't make any sense. Uh, you're throwing it out. And people are so afraid of being fined or fired. So they rather throw out vaccine, which people are literally killing each other for, than give it to somebody that doesn't fit a category. That, could, that should change tomorrow. I mean, this should change, should change. right away
13: completely agree i mean if a nurse is, is trying to give vaccines and they're going to perish them she wants to take what's left over home and give it to her, her friends and family of course well, the yeah. goal is to vaccinate the whole country
3: yeah i i thought so 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 uh tell me about johnson and johnson uh the numbers are, are are lower in terms of effectiveness than the others but it's one shot and people still say the numbers are high enough would you would you feel just as good about the johnson and johnson as you do about uh the pfizer
13: Almost. I feel really, really, really good about the Pfizer and the Moderna. I, we, you do not understand how, uh, how unusual it is to get 95 percent number out of a brand new vaccine with unbelievable safety. Here's another story the media doesn't report. Brian, 40 million people have gotten this vaccine. Are you hearing any clamoring about side effects, people dying, hospitalization from the vaccine? No. Extremely safe vaccines, extremely effective vaccines. What I like about the Johnson & Johnson is it's more rugged. It doesn't have to be frozen. You can, you can keep it in a doctor's refrigerator. You're going to get it into a ton of pharmacies. Yep. One shot, as you said, one shot gives you 70% effectiveness. And here's the most important thing. One shot of the J&J vaccine you're probably not going to get a severe illness. Almost definitely, even if you got it, it would be a cold. That's where we're heading with COVID-19. We're going to end up in a, in a situation in the summer or the fall where it's a bad cold if enough people get vaccinated. That's the future we hope for.
3: Uh, Dr. Siegel, uh, what do you think it's going to do for us, good or bad, with Walgreens, uh, Winn-Dixie, CVS, now going to get this vaccine? Uh, they're going to be able to distribute it, I think, starting this week.
13: Absolutely. love so that. So we go Brian. to you them the,
3: now. Right. We go to them. Yeah, I see. love
13: that because over the past 10 years, most people have gotten their vaccines from pharmacies. Pharmacies know how to do this. There's certain vaccines that I can't even give out because they're not covered under Medicare, like Shingrix, or Medicare to not cover that. So I send my patients to the pharmacy. Bang, they get it. I am very impressed with the pharmacy's ability to keep track, have a database, get the vaccine organization. Maybe this thing about our plan B that you and I have will actually happen in pharmacies. I mean, I, again, I can't emphasize enough to your listeners how horrible it is for anybody to be throwing away this life-saving vaccine that's actually expensive to make. I think the pharmacies are going to be a game-changer.
3: Absolutely. You've got to stop with this punitive approach. You know, if you keep a restaurant open too long, you're, 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 you're there's your liquor license. If you're caught uh, walking around that mess, you're going to be fine. It, that, that whole attitude is really creating so much more anxiety and anger in this country than need be. And when I travel to Florida, just there with the keys doing this shoot for for Fox Nation, there's just a total different attitude. I watch cops walking around with a box of masks. They're walking up to people going, hey, buddy, here, take this. You got to put it on. Not come with me. This is your last warning. And it's such a different attitude. And their numbers, they're 25th in the country, right in the middle. But their economy has not been brought to its knees. Can you talk about that?
13: Well, look at Governor DeSantis keeping the schools open, whereas in Chicago the schools are closed and the unions are clamoring and clamoring. You know, don't open them. I mean, that's a huge point. Over a year of kids not being allowed in school causes tremendous psychological damage. CDC just covered the amount of mental health damage recently. And restaurants also. The idea of keeping businesses open and encouraging them with precautions, that is an enormous difference. New York City, as you know, is a ghost town right now. It doesn't make sense to do— these knee-jerk political moves, like lockdowns, that don't actually decrease the spread of the virus. You know why, Brian? People are at home. They're locked down at home. Guess what they do? They spread the virus within the households. I think keeping businesses open with proper precautions Mm -hmm. has always been the way to go in this situation. So
3: my hunch just from observing you. You're the medical professional. But if you look at the number of people with antibodies, now you look at the number of people, vaccines, the ones that are going to get them that have gotten them. Don't you think this thing could fall precipitously?
13: It's going to. I think, I think once we have 150 million people vaccinated, plus I said 70 million people have antibodies, I think. I think three times as many people had COVID than realize they have it. I think we get up around that number. It will drop precipitously. My prediction is this summer. By early this summer, things are going to really change. And you, you're seeing it now already. You're already seeing the drop in hospitalizations, provided we get control over these variants. And the variants, by the way, are dependent on how much virus there is around. So if we keep heading in the right direction, there'll be less variants. But the goal now is to get as many people vaccinated as fast as possible. You gave one of the secrets to that. It, it, it really has to do with pharmacies. Pharmacies know how to vaccinate.
3: Right. And lastly, if we want to go to a game, do there are enough tests out there? We wouldn't create resentment that would be, for example, if I want 18,000 into the garden, let's say 12,000 into Madison Square Garden. Is there enough tests, rapid tests? And would you feel they're effective enough to be able to have people manned at all these gates, you have them all these tables, you ask people to get there an hour early, to swab and wait, swab and wait, swab and wait. Could you think it would be cost prohibitive to do that? Will there create resentments that we're putting sports ahead of people? How, where are we at with the number of tests and accessibility?
13: First of all, I like the plan, swab and wait. Secondly, it has to do with the ventilation system. Thirdly, I'm, Knicks, I'm a next season ticket owner, as you know. I can't wait till your plan goes in place. Yeah. They're a little better this year. I'd actually like to watch them. I mean, they picked up a couple of good draft picks this year. And I'm vaccinated. Besides, why shouldn't I, who's been vaccinated, be allowed into Madison Square Garden? The more people we vaccinate, the more we can present those immunity cards at the door, maybe a test, maybe not, rapid testing, ventilation Social distancing within the arena. Hand out a New York Knicks mask, please. A KN95 at the door. Swab and wait. Vaccination cards. Open the arena. I agree.
3: And maybe open air might be easier. Baseball might be even easier. They're looking at Biden says, I want you to delay it. And the players' union says no, we're not. So we'll see where that goes. R-
13: rate of spread much lower outside, so of course baseball mm-hmm. should be looking into a season this year. Of uh, course.
3: The further these progress, uh, Doctor, so you're going to start charging me for these time, uh, and I, I haven't met my deductible yet. So I'm going to have to let you go now.
13: Oh well, you you never have to pay a deductible. <laughs> I'm, I'm paying you. I'm going to I'm going to have to send you a, a bottle of wine, Brian. All
3: right, good. That sounds Always good. A great pleasure. All right, great. Doctor Mark Siegel of NYU and Fox News. Uh, back in a moment
2: you're with brian kilmeade living the bream is a podcast
10: hosted by fox news channels shannon bream sharing inspirational stories personal anecdotes and an insider's perspective on actions and rulings from the high court subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com america's listening to fox news
2: from his mouth to to your ears, ears it's brian kilmeade
8: President Biden said Friday that he will move ahead with his $1.9 trillion stimulus plan with or without Republican support, because this economy needs a massage and Joe Biden isn't waiting for permission. An interview with Biden will air before tomorrow's Super Bowl between the Bucks and the Chiefs. Incidentally, Buck and Chief are also what Biden calls his friends when he forgets their names. Uh,
3: That's pretty funny. So that's as close to a dig on Biden as it's going to get for four years. What do you think? So do they have any Trump, anything at all on Trump?
8: Former social media influencer Donald Trump. (laughs) He will not testify at his impeachment trial next week. And I I think I speak for all of us when I say, come on, please. (laughs) Give us one last show, man. You know, stop feeling sorry for yourself put in your extensions, and burst into that trial like it's Maury Povich and you are not the father. Come on, think about it. You can yell out all the tweets you haven't been allowed to post for the past month. You know, like, worst inauguration ever. Poem barely rhymes.
3: That's pretty funny. Uh, But he's not going to testify, and the impeachment will start uh, tomorrow. And I believe that, like the last one, Trump is going to end up better. And you read Politico's story, Uh, Of course, unnamed sources say they're just shocked, Democrats, that Trump is starting to rehab his image already by not even saying anything. But the further you move away, the more they realize amongst Republicans he's still popular. People point out and they'll say, well, 53 percent of the country want him impeached. Yeah, because he, like Bill Clinton and others, won with about 45 percent of the vote. That's what happens. He got no honeymoon. The highest he probably was was 50 percent. So if you ask at any moment, even without any insurrection, election loss, or Ukrainian call, that's how they wake up in the morning. I hope he's impeached today, honey. Uh, Can you start the car for me? It's a little cold. I hate getting into a, a cold Escalade. Thanks so much for listening, everyone. Go to Fox Nation. Another reason, brand new season of What Made America Great. Got three, four great episodes coming your way.
9: Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts.
2: Live from the Fox News radio studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade.
3: Thanks so much for listening, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. Coming up this hour, we're going to be dealing with Andy McCarthy because he's the best in the business. We're at a great calm of what to expect in impeachment part two. And Brett Baer at the bottom of the hour bring us inside Washington and all the challenges that remain. We come to you from New York, where we're told not to be cocky by our governor. you believe this? Not to be cocky by our governor. The cockiest guy you ever meet on the planet, let alone politician, telling us not to get cocky when it comes to the virus. And... Heard around the country, heard around the world. Uh, we are also waiting. This uh, mayor is going to be speaking soon, and I hope this reflects what you're getting if you're run by a Democratic governor and mayor. That They're starting to loosen up when it comes to uh, the restrictions on dining and gyms because the cases are going down around the country. Over the last two weeks, over 30 percent, including hospitalizations, 24 percent and deaths, 10 percent. We're heading in the right direction. Can we get back to our lives, please? Big
2: three now with the stories you need to know it's brian's big three number three the tampa bay buccaneers
4: have a second super bowl title in franchise history tom brady doesn't pass the torch quite yet to mahomes does he you're looking at the greatest right there
3: no question. Uh, a little bit of a mellow call at the end, which is kind of mysterious. Uh, they had a long windup, a big blowout. So you had a long windup. And I don't understand. Uh, Kansas City didn't even show up, and the Bucks' defense was amazing. Meanwhile,
5: uh, next.
6: Number two.
5: President Biden took an oath to, to support and defend the Constitution. He is constitutionally obligated to faithfully execute the laws, and that's what he's not doing. So, no, I, I, am, I am highly concerned. We, we've got a crisis at the border now. It's not being reported on.
3: That is Senator Ron Johnson, exasperated. Immigration reform under Biden equals disaster at the border and beyond. And now we're about to see an abolishment of ICE.
6: Number one. A zero chance of conviction. Forty-five Republicans have said it's not even a legitimate proceeding. So it's really over before it starts. I think unlikely to be witnesses. There's going to be so much evidence that the president had nothing to do with this. It was planned previously on Facebook. The bombs were planted the night before.
3: Uh, that is so true. A part of the defense, perhaps. Here we go again. Impeachment 2 begins. We'll look at the defense and Democratic attack approach. Uh, joining us now... Andrew McCarthy, Fox News contributor, former assistant U.S. attorney for Southern District of New York, just read his column on FoxNews.com about what to expect today, excuse me, and this week, more likely. Andrew, welcome back.
0: Brian, how are you?
3: Good. I mean, I can't believe you're here again. You think to yourself, i got to write another book?
0: <laughs> well, if Tom Brady's going to keep going back, then I'm going to keep going back. Right. You know what I
3: mean? And you've been compared. <laughs> you are the Tom Brady of law.
0: Uh, of impeachment. What, yeah. what a job. <laughs> uh. <laughs>
3: And he, first off, this is taking shape. Evidently, political reports there's already some anger and frustration with the impeachment managers on the left because Schumer and Pelosi do not want to drag this thing out. They want four or five days and they don't want it. They don't want witnesses. Do you think they'll get there? Do you think Schumer and Pelosi will get their way?
0: If Schumer doesn't want witnesses, they're not going to be witnesses because, look, the Republicans don't want witnesses, and it's a 50-50 Senate. Remember, Kamala Harris is really not involved in impeachment, and she wants – the Biden administration, I think, wants like a million miles away from it, uh, which is why she's not presiding over it. Under the Constitution, the vice president is the president of the Senate, so she could be presiding over this, but the Biden administration – doesn't like the look of that. So it's going to be Pat Leahy. Um, You know, if Schumer doesn't want witnesses, there are not going to be witnesses and it'll be short. I can understand why the left in the House wants witnesses because, you know, their idea here, Brian, is to basically play out January 6th in lurid detail and try to hang that not only around Trump's neck, but around the Republicans' neck. And, you know, the Republicans are all saying we're voting to acquit because we think this proceeding is unconstitutional. The Democrats want to make a powerful showing of what happened on January 6th and then argue to the public that if you vote to acquit Trump, you're approving that conduct. So that's what they want to do, and that's why they want witnesses.
3: How much video will they be using, do you think? Will this be almost like a show?
0: I think there'll be a lot of video. Um, yeah, I thought there was a surprising amount of video, uh, not so much in the Senate trial, but in the uh, in the House impeachment when we were back doing the Ukraine stuff, um, because that was a pretty dry uh, fact pattern compared to this one. And yet they, you know, they peppered it up with uh, with video. So of course, I think they would certainly want to use that, and in particular the imagery. Of the Capitol police officers under assault, I think if I were if I had been planning this as a Democrat, I would not have called this incitement because that that imports a whole bunch of uh, of legal problems. I think that they don't need. I would have focused the case on the three or four hours when the Capitol was under siege. And the the president wasn't responding. You know, he's the commander in chief, regardless of whether you think he incited the people to go down there or not. He's the commander in chief. It's his obligation to respond to an attack on the seat of government. So that's what I would have focused the attack on and uh, the case on. And I would have made uh, Officer Sicknick and the other officers who were under assault. But, of course, Sicknick was killed. I would have made that the center of the case. And that's obviously, I think. Where they want to go with video is to to show that kind of stuff.
11: A couple
3: of things on that. There's a few things going on. So I understand. Tell me. Obviously, you've done the research and been through this, but evidently they're going to focus on the president leading up to this, not just the 70 minute speech you gave that day uh, about the rigged election, stolen election, stop the steal. Uh, and then they're going to go to some of his muscular language on the stage, and maybe Rudy's too, and maybe his son's, I'm not sure. But the the comeback is going to be, he said, do it peacefully and patriotically. And they're going to go back to the Georgia phone call, and they're going to say what they didn't like about the Georgia phone call. All right? I understand it. But if you are going to look at his speech and say this is what Donald Trump wanted, I don't know if anybody wants that standard, Because if Andy McCarthy makes a fiery speech because you want to run for mayor and someone says, yeah, I'm going to take back our city and in Andy McCarthy's name, I'm going to start shooting people and stabbing people. I don't think we want to go down that route because you would never say that. Trump has never, ever had anything negative to say about a police officer, let alone kill one of them. So we're going to go back to see exactly what he said and when he said it and how it could be misinterpreted. That could be a whole freedom of speech thing that could be endless and go on for weeks.
0: Yeah, what you're really homing in on is the point that I've been trying to make from the beginning, which is why this was such a mistake to couch this impeachment article as incitement. Because I think factually what Trump did was not incitement in the legal sense. To prove the federal crime of incitement, you have to have unambiguous calls to violence where the violence is probable and imminent. And you don't have anything close to that here. Plus, factually, they're going to have problems to the extent that the planning of this event um, or the violence that happened was, if it can be shown to be independent of what Trump was saying, uh, then they have a fact problem in terms of whether Trump is actually the, the force that triggered this attack. So, couching it as incitement was a, was a mistake, and I think to the extent, Brian, the way that you get out of the First Amendment issue is if you had couched it as the president has the obligation to preserve, protect, and defend the Constitution, the House was conducting a constitutionally required proceeding where they count the votes of the states, and the federal government does not have any authority to reverse the state's certification under our constitution the states are in charge of their own elections and all congress is therefore on january 6 is to count the votes it's not there as a as a check on the states so what you would accuse trump of i think if you were going to do this legally right and in an airtight way that would make a good case would be that he undermined that constitutional proceeding that he had an obligation to protect, and that when the violence started at the Capitol, at the seat of our government, he didn't respond. Because of the way they charged it, because of hyping this idea of incitement to insurrection, um, I I just think they charged it wrong, and therefore they've created these problems for themselves. It's probably not gonna make a, a hill of beans a difference because he's going to be acquitted anyway. I mean, you know, we know he's going to be acquitted. That, that you, We know going in what the outcome is. And that's why you're, yeah. as you said at the beginning, you're having this to do uh, between the Senate and, and the House about whether to have witnesses and how long to go on with this. If they thought they actually had a chance of convicting him, they'd probably go on as long as they needed to go on.
3: Senator Leahy presiding over it. He's already said the president's guilty. Come on, right at that image. That right there you say to yourself, oh, my God, how could he possibly think he's getting a fair shot? But what they're going to punch back at, and you could, of course, dispute this, but if I read is correct, is Bruce Castor and David Schoen, who got this case two weeks ago, said that they're going to come back and they're going to point to other insightful language used by Democrats. For example, Maxine Waters, when she said, if you see any of these Trump officials, you get in their face. She realized that, and that was brought up to her yesterday. Cut four. They're going to attack people like me, and they're going to try and say uh, that we have done rallies and we've said things that have incited others, but none of us have been involved. And what this president has been involved with, and I think we're going to see that the planning for the, uh, the invasion of our capital uh, started some time ago with these uh, domestic terrorist groups. And none of us have been involved in any of those kinds of activities, but they're going to try it. Well, she's all over the place. Are they going to say that Trump was it? There was planning. It seems as though they, they've arrested 234 people and there was planning. We know that. But is Trump a part of that planning?
0: What see what they can prove. But what I would say about that is it's as we understand the facts, which is that Trump gave a fiery, provocative speech and then a bunch of violence happened and they're saying, you know, basically one thing caused the other. I don't see that it's any at at all unfair to say that people like Maxine Waters were running off at the mouth the way they did in a very irresponsible fashion and we had months of rioting. In the major cities of the United States, which these guys either turned a blind eye to or they justified. So, you know, I mean, if you want to play that game, then what else is the Trump team going to do? It's only natural that they should uh, defend themselves that way. And what I keep asking, Brian, is if this is all going to happen and we already know the outcome, you know, what's the point? Of course. um, you know, I, I don't I – ve- I strongly disapprove of what the president did, and I think he should have been censured, and we should have gotten on with it. But, you know, you could always run this. If he decided to run again in 2024, you could have the impeachment then. But I just don't see – at this point, when he's out of office, I don't see him really running for office again. I don't see him – I see him as a factor in our politics for a long time, but I don't see him as a candidate. But you could always, there's no statute of limitations on impeachment. If he decided to run, they could do it then. But this um, is their so, play. They can't
3: know, do it again. This is their play, right?
0: Well, but what I'm saying is there's nothing that says the Senate has to try him now. I mean, yeah. they have rules, but they can always amend their rules. There's no statute of limitations. Like if you had a, you know, if you, if you were in criminal court, then you have a certain amount of time to try the defendant and a a certain amount of time to charge him. And, you know, there's all kinds of rules about that. This is political. It's impeachment. There's no rule that says the Senate has to have a trial within X number of days of the House returning an article of impeachment. They can stick it in a drawer and, you know, if he ever decided to run again and they wanted to try to disqualify him, you could pull it out of the drawer at at that point, have the trial. Obviously, they're not going to do that. They you know, they've determined that they're going to go forward with this. And I must say that if, if Trump had, you know, six months to go in his term or two months to go in his term, I'd feel very differently about it. I think they'd be obliged to impeach him. I'd also think they would have to do it right. I mean, I don't think they've they charged to Like in the House was a joke.
3: The House was a joke, right? I mean, it's just a simple vote.
0: Well, they were, they were in such a rush to do yeah. it. You know, think about it, you know you wanted you know liz cheney got a lot of uh credit and i think rightly so for for taking a stand based on conscience and and i think she was quite right about it but wouldn't it have been nice if the democrats had brought like liz cheney and maybe one or two other sympathetic republicans in to say here's what we want to charge him with what do you think about this and then we could have hashed out what the legal problems of it were and you might have gotten more support for it but they were hell-bent to do this political narrative that Trump incited an insurrection because they want to say that, you know, the insurrectionary violence in this country is a bunch of, uh, you know, white supremacists and neo-Nazis who are all Trump followers, and they want the country to think that, you know, mm-hmm. everyone who's a Trump follower is a, you know, is a neo-Nazi waiting to happen who's about to besiege the Capitol. That that's a political narrative they want to run with. I, I think it's a terrible thing to do. Under circumstances right. where what happened on January 6th and the lead-up to it is something a lot of people on both sides could agree was really wrong, uh, and they could have been condemned in a more harmonious way, but, right. but they're insistent on making everything political.
3: I know, and they're all lawyers, and they should know better. They're acting emotional, and the bottom line is, too, there's a strong pushback that— there's no way Trump ever thought they were going to breach a building because there's there's no the Trump rallies don't get out of hand unless there's an Antifa BLM counter uh, insurgency. So yeah. that's why they thought it was such a low risk. But, uh, Andy, it's all in your column. We can get it on FoxNews.com, right? That's right. Yep. All right. Uh, so he breaks it down for us and Andy, we'll see how, how, how this all plays out. And hopefully we, we get this over with this week. Andy McCarthy, thank you. Thanks, Brian. All right, I'm so glad I retained him at the beginning of the year. Uh, back in a moment.
2: Expanding your knowledge base. It's Brian Kilmeade. New from the Fox News Podcasts
10: Network.
6: My name is Kennedy, and welcome to my podcast, which will, I humbly say, single-handedly save the world. You're welcome.
10: It's Kennedy saves the world. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. A talk show that's
2: real. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show.
3: Hey, welcome back. Uh, welcome back, everybody. Rob is on KRMG in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Rob, what's on your mind?
12: Um, yeah, hang on. i got to get out of something that I'm in here. Um, take about two seconds. And um, so,
0: and I need to take you off speaker. All um, right.
3: Uh, Ed, you listen on WIBX uh, over in New York. Hey, Ed, you, what's on your mind?
11: Well, when you talked about the uh, the vaccines being tossed away in New York uh, City, yep, um, I went on, to, I'm 75, and I've been trying to get an appointment, You're but not that hard. But uh, Oneida County uh, Health Department site, I went on there to make the appointment, and the banner said, Due to a lack of vaccine supply allocation from New York State, Oneida County is out of vaccine doses and will not be taking new appointments until... More is received. Unbelievable. Up here, we can't get it. Down there, they're throwing it away.
3: Yeah, and in Yankee Stadium's wide open. It's empty. And and it's only for people in the Bronx. And I'm fine if you are an underserved community, but just flood everywhere. O- o- Oneida County is where you just had a congresswoman elected that took three months to count all the votes, right? Get on the phone with her and demand it. I mean, you guys can make something happen. I mean that's ridiculous. There's enough vaccine. This should not be a problem. I feel bad for you. Uh, hang in there and stay healthy. Uh, listen, when we come back, I'm going to bring inside Washington with uh, the real issues are, what this impeachment's going to be like. Uh, also, uh, jamming through the stimulus program and a three thousand six hundred dollar child tax credit. So have some kids get a three thousand six hundred dollar payday. It's weird. Can we afford that?
10: from the Fox News Podcasts Network. Download and listen to The One with Craig Gutfeld, the co-host of The Five, like you've never heard him before. You know him. You love him. You want to be like him. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com.
2: A radio show like no other, it's Brian Kilmeade.
1: The fact that he uh, was impeached in a bipartisan fashion, uh, the fact that that, uh, he lost the presidency, the fact that we lost the Senate, uh, we have to be in a position where we can say we stand for principles, we stand for ideals. Uh, Somebody who uh, has provoked an attack on the United States Capitol to prevent the counting of electoral votes... Uh, which resulted in five people dying who refused to stand up immediately when he was asked and stop the violence. Uh, that That is a person who does not have a role as a leader of our party going forward.
3: Well, there you go. Uh, that is Liz Cheney making it clear she does not back down from her impeachment stance and does not believe President Trump should be the leader of the party. I think the problem is she's got censured by the people of Wyoming. They're doing the same thing to uh, Flake uh, and um, and uh, Cindy McCain over in Arizona. They're threatening to do the same with Ben Sass in Nebraska. He is still extremely popular. Brett Baer, Chief Political Anchor for Fox News and Anchor a Special Report, uh weeknights at six. Uh Brett, welcome back. What do you think about Liz Cheney's assessment?
11: Hey Brian. Uh, I think listen, she is very um adamant about sticking to principle and, and she did, and she called a vote uh in in her leadership and she won and didn't just win. In small numbers, she won overwhelmingly. So she has, you know, a legitimate point to make, and there are some Republicans who definitely feel, um, feel that way. I think that uh, most Republicans are going to try to approach this week from a constitutional question uh, to avoid some of the things that Liz Cheney talked about there, and, um, and we'll see how it goes. I, I think that it's going to be a fascinating week, but I do think it's going to go fast.
3: Four days? Do you think by the end of the week where we have a vote?
11: I do. I mean, I think it's going to be close. Uh maybe it's it's a little bit longer than that, but there's a want and a need on both sides. Um even though politically I think Democrats see some some ad, advantage to, you know, going down this road uh storyline-wise, uh I do think that there is a tipping point as far as spending a lot of time in Congress on this
12: as opposed to, let's say, COVID relief.
3: Here's what Jason Miller said from the president's perspective. Cut 20, cut 16.
12: The events of January 6th were horrific, Mm -hmm. and those should never happen, and nobody who could consider themselves a supporter of President Trump could ever participate in any violence like that because President Trump is so anti-mob violence and has been so uh, outspoken on this. But as we lay out the timelines, the Democrats can't have it both ways. They can't say that the president is singularly responsible because of his speech, but then try to go backwards to things that happened before he started speaking.
3: So they're talking about the planning that went on and the people there that don't have a history. Trump does not have a history of taking on law enforcement. And we know that some have been beat up and 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 uh, one lost his life. So they're going to try to, I guess, push on that, that somebody, they were plotting and planning beyond the president's 70-minute speech.
11: Yeah, and and I think that there's, going to be an effort to kind of paint a picture how this was all coming to a head at the president's behest. I think it's going to be tough to prove, actually. And um, just on that front, we haven't seen all the evidence for how this is going to lay out. We know for a fact that the former president is not going to testify. Uh, but we also know that there's going to be all kinds of videos uh, presented uh, that tell a story. Republicans and Trump supporters are going to and defenders are going to put their own videos up of of Democrats, um, you know, either calling for violence or or giving a head nod uh,
6: to some of the riots and violence that happened over the summer.
3: Yeah. In fact, here's what Senator Rand Paul said should be in that montage.
6: But I think if we're going to criminalize speech and uh, somehow impeach everybody who says, oh, go fight to hear your voices heard, I mean, really, we ought to impeach Chuck Schumer then. He went to the Supreme Court, stood in front of the Supreme Court, and said specifically, hey, Gorsuch, hey, Kavanaugh, you've unleashed a whirlwind. You won't know what hits you if you continue with these awful decisions. THIS INFLAMMATORY WORDING, THIS VIOLENT RHETORIC OF CHUCK Schumer WAS SO BAD THAT THE CHIEF JUSTICE, WHO RARELY SAYS ANYTHING PUBLICLY, IMMEDIATELY SAID THIS KIND OF LANGUAGE IS DANGEROUS AS A MOB TRIED TO INVADE THE SUPREME COURT. SO IF PEOPLE WANT TO call, HOLD PRESIDENT TRUMP ACCOUNTABLE FOR LANGUAGE, THERE HAS TO BE A CONSISTENT STANDARD.
3: Said Congresswoman Omar, wishing and celebrating the violence that happened to him when he broke six ribs and lost part of his lung. Cory Booker say, "Get up in the face of the Congress people. You'll re- you'll probably see comments uh, from Maxine Waters, of course, telling crowds uh, and the mob to act." So he went on. He's like, "Listen, I'll put together that montage for you, and you're going to have patriotically and peacefully." That's the part of the speech that the Republicans want out, and the other part is go back, take your country back. Is the other part. And we're going to say, didn't we do this argument every night on Special Report, Fox and Friends, uh, Sean Hannity show, uh, Don Lemon show? I mean, that's what basically you're wondering about.
11: Yeah, no, you're right. And I think it'll be, you know, compelling um, images and sounds on both sides. Uh, and I think Republicans... Will have an argument to make, and um, it's not a, a road that Democrats want to relive. That was not a political highlight of of those moments, and um, of what we saw with the riots and and um, and the looting and and all of that. And you know, the Vice President currently, you know, with a, a program and tweets to to get uh, rioters out of out of jail. Uh, I think it's going to be uh, an interesting political week to see you know who wins we always play mm-hmm. that but i think it's going to be uh, over fairly soon.
3: Well, the one thing that just irks at me, I, I, you know, the politics, who's winning, who has the majorities, I get it. But when people lose jobs unnecessarily for political posturing, like the XL pipeline with no environmentally negative environmental input, that drives me nuts, especially yeah. when they are union jobs. And that did not escape Richard Trumpka, who was asked that question about losing all those union jobs in the XL pipeline, was shelved overnight. So Jonathan Swan asked him, listen to this, cut 47.
9: I-, I wish he hadn't done that on the first day, because the Labors International was right. It did and will cost us jobs I- in the process. If I wish he had paired that more carefully uh, with uh, the-, the thing that he did second by saying, here's where we're creating jobs. We can do mine reclamation, we can fix leaks, and we can fix seeps and create hundreds of thousands of jobs in doing all of that stuff. You think Biden realizes that that was a mistake? that announcement. I I think so, yes.
3: Pretty pretty uh that that that's gotta hurt.
11: Yeah. I, I think that's a, a big soundbite from Richard Trumka. And I think he paused because I don't think he thinks that Biden thinks it's a mistake. And you know that was a, a clear hat tip to the left and the progressives. Um and you know, I think that this is a big issue that will continue to come up, especially as we get closer to 2022, which is hard to believe, but we're on our way to the midterm elections.
3: Yeah, well, I just, there's no, the, the chances of him reversing that move are less than zero?
11: No, he's not going to go back on it, but uh, he's going to pay a price for it. It's not just the 11,000 jobs directly, it's, it's the uh, jobs around it supporting that effort um, there, there's all kinds of jobs I mean you're you're north of twenty thousand thirty thousand jobs talking to some energy experts
3: yeah there's uh, no question about it I heard a, a few reports that the that the Super Bowl was yesterday and I don't want to give it <laughs> away in case you taped it and want to watch it tonight but here is how some people are saying the game ended cut 28
4: the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Have a second Super Bowl title in franchise history, and Tom Brady doesn't pass the torch quite yet to Mahomes, does he? No. You're looking at the greatest right there.
3: There's no question about it, but it didn't really feel like a Super Bowl, like nothing else. The same thing in 2020 with everything we do, but it didn't feel as chaotic, right? It didn't. You didn't hear that mass noise and the the furor, but but the specialness of the accomplishment it's mind-boggling. This team wasn't even in the playoffs last year. He doesn't even practice with the team and goes from 7-5, and five, reels off all these wins, three road victories, and then beats the last team that beat him. It's unbelievable in the defending it's champs. It's
11: unbelievable. And, I mean, you cannot like him for some reason because he left New England. If you're a New England fan or you can have a problem with him that he wins so much. But, for gosh sakes, you got you got to tip the cap. I mean, the guy <laughs> goes to a, a team and gets in Super Bowl. You know, I saw a clip from when he played in that golf round, you know, and and, uh, uh, they they were giving him grief on the microphone about how he was not playing great golf, and uh, he said, well, you know what? I'm trying to win a Super Bowl. This is back in May. Um, He's he's awesome. I mean, just awesome, and um, I texted with Jim Nance this morning, and he said, you know, I feel like you after election night. uh, It was quite something. He's done eight Super Bowls. Uh, Jim Nance has and um, I thought it was a great broadcast even though the game was lopsided
3: right Antonio Romo's extremely likable but a quick thing on Jim Nance he's up for a contract and very interesting time you know in network television so even though he's the best uh, at golf and football and NCAA basketball I'm just going to keep my eye on that because if Jim Nance can't get a contract we're all screwed (laughs) (laughs) <laughs>
11: <laughs> totally. I mean, with those pipes, that's right, and that experience.
3: Right. He's, uh, he's
11: a good man. I'm sure the CVS is going to keep on doing. Oh, you we'll think see. so?
3: Okay. I just want to make sure. <laughs> I mean, that, that kind of gets me nervous when guys like that are having trouble, um, <laughs> or it seems like, at least on the outside perspective. So, coming up on February 13th, the yes. com is the place to register for uh, our roundtable. Right, Brett?
11: Yes. Yes, and it's going to be fantastic. Some, uh, a great panel discussion and uh, some performances. It's all for Children's National. Uh, raises money every year, and this time it's virtual and nationwide. Uh, on Saturday the 13th, it goes live at 5 p.m. You can click on the stream on allstarpanelevent.com, or you could actually go on Fox Nation, and it's going to be on Fox Nation as well. Um, the auction for this, the silent auction, starts Wednesday, 10 p.m., same place, allstarpanelevent.com. Click on View Auction Items. And you can start bidding there. All the dollars go to help kids and um, the Hospital Children's National. That's it, it, my son.
3: Which is, yeah, it's it's a great cause. And the the auction items are so good, you're going to be bidding on them? We're going to be bidding against yes. you?
11: Yes. I mean, there's some really good ones. There's some great golf trips, uh, some some great chefs. They're going to do uh, virtual, you know, uh, cooking classes, Jose Andres, uh, All all kinds of folks. And um, even you are in there. Yes. Zoom plus your signed books. And, you know, that's going to go big.
3: Probably it's going to be the top seller. And I think it's going to create some resentment with the other all-star panel members.
11: Let's not put, the you know, expectations too high. You know. (laughs)
3: You spend quality time with me. It's not that great. (laughs) In person, I have a tough time selling you, let alone uh, via Zoom. Uh, No, it's okay. So it's all free. Uh, allstarpanelevent.com. dot com. Go there, see the auction items, and take in the event on the thirteenth. But on the tenth, the auction like you opens. Here
11: in the primaries, but you can also text seven two seven two seven and type all star, and it'll give you all the auction items. And you can also make a donation. Any dollar amount really makes a difference. Uh, any little amount, it, it really does go a long way. So seven two seven two seven type All-Star, I think they, I got that right, or go to All-StarPanelEvent.com. AllstarPanel
3: Event.com. alright uh, Brett, good luck tonight. Get ready. Another big week. What else is new? Yeah, it's a
11: big week. Yep. All, All right, Impeachment
3: buddy. Part 2. Brett Baer, thank you. We'll see him tonight on Special Report, and I'll see you next. one 866 408
2: Educating. Entertaining. Enlightening. You're with Brian Kilmeade. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade.
13: Someone has run on the field. Some guy with a brawl. And now he's not being chased. He's running down the middle of the 40. Arms in the air and a victory salute. He's pulling down his pants. Put up your pants, my man. Pull up those pants. He's being chased to the 30. He breaks a tackle from a security guard, the 20, down the middle, the 10, the 5. He slides at the 1, and they converge on him at the goal line. Pull up your pants. Take off the bra and be a man. And the players with hands on hips at the other end of the field are looking at him and shaking their head and saying, why, oh, why is this taking place in a Super Bowl?
3: How'd they get through? Uh Kevin Harlan, the best call ever of a guy who is creating havoc on the field. I know I'm a little torn because you don't want to give people like that attention. But how the hell did that guy get on the field in a time at which you can't even get press in the game? He gets in wearing a bra,
8: takes down his pants. I guess he was dared was the story. He was... You know, he realized he got closer to the end zone than Mahomes and the then the Chiefs got all game.
3: Okay, you know what? I'm trying to tell people at home not to do this. Don't wear a bra run in the field and take off your pants and you're saying the exact wrong message let's find out there's even more to know thanks
2: more to know sponsored by oxford gold group call today to learn how you can protect your retirement and savings account 833-600-GOLD that's 833-600-G-O-L-D
3: so let's get started with a halftime performance I can't wait to forget. Uh, the Weeknd, who I'd never heard of, uses mass dancers, and robots. I did not know the difference because everyone's wearing a mask. An electrifying, COVID-friendly Super Bowl 55 performance. I don't think it was electrifying. He took $7 million out of his pocket. I give him credit. Seems like a nice person. I give him fine. There's not one of those songs that was distinguishable. It's like the songs you get if you want to pay for music, but you don't want to pay for the exact artist. Kind of knockoff, generic dance music.
8: I, I do know that Eric is was into it. He said he was grooving to the uh,
3: theme. Miley Cyrus was joined by her idols, Billy Idol and Joan Jett, during a TikTok tailgate pregame show. But evidently she had to restart it when she started crying.
8: There's no crying in uh, halftime or... You
3: have re- nothing to re- add, d That's yeah, fine. Was, Miley Cyrus, evidently she's upset she broke up with her husband like years ago. So the book, so the song was written in 2013 She's crying about a relationship than ended three years ago before the Super Bowl. If it's going to make you upset, why are you singing it at the Super Bowl? But you started it again. I guess everybody's okay with it. All right, next. It didn't take long for Twitter to, to pan the performance of, of Weekend. So the singer merely jumped from song to song with little showmanship. He walked through a tunnel of lights. He ended up on the field. There was no stage, which must have been great for George Toma, who's in charge of the turf. But it wasn't that good. Quote, I love At The weekend, but that could have been better. His music choice was great, but overall for a halftime show, it could have been much better. No kidding. That may have been the worst halftime show in history. I'm shocked at how bad The weekend Show was. That is so true. Remember, I'll give you an example. Bruno Mars, Never Boys Album, downloaded his music. But he was great. He was perfect. Paul McCartney was fantastic. U2 was for, forever, will be we remembered forever. Justin Timberlake, typical Justin Timberlake. Meaningless songs where he dances around and...
8: I don't know. Uh, and grabs at uh, Janet Jackson.
3: Yes. Next, Super Bowl two, uh, 2021's National Anthem performance by Eric Church and Jasmine Sullivan
8: gets mixed reviews. What was wrong with that? It was a great mix. I don't think anyone kneeled. Did you see anyone kneel? Didn't notice that. I know they locked arms, I believe, before that, but there was no kneeling.
3: Yeah. Next, Colin Kaepernick trends on social media and omitted an NFL commercial on the $250 million social justice commitment. Did a lot of social justice work.
8: You know, I just want to watch a game, not the political stuff.
3: Colin Kaepernick started the trend. By the way, how great was it? The guy that knocked him out of the starting lineup in San Francisco
8: was the backup to Tom Brady in Tampa, which was Gabbard. There is no way that if Colin Kaepernick really could make a difference, you know a team would sign him.
3: Mariah Carey did not approve of the league's ad. She threw some shade on the NFL, saying his commitment to end systematic racism follows treatment of activist Colin Kaepernick in the past. Carey took to Twitter to mock the commercial and the NFL's pledge. Happy Colin Kaepernick Appreciation Day. What an attitude.
8: I have no comment on that. <laughs>
3: you would think she'd be happy. I don't know. I'm just about done with uh, Colin Kaepernick and with this hour of the Brian Kilmeade Show. Don't forget, go to Fox Nation, get What uh, Made America Great, brand new series down now. You'll never regret it.
8: I'm Guy Benson. Join me weekdays at 3 p.m. Eastern as we break down the biggest stories of the day with some of the biggest newsmakers and guests. Listen live on the Fox News app or get the free podcast at GuyBensonShow.com.